Welcome to the 426th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Today I have two special guests to talk about their new book, One Mile at a Time. Travis Macy is the son of the infamous Mark Mace Macy. Mark Macy has been doing ultra races, adventure races, echo challenges for over 30 years. And his son is no less the endurance athlete with over 130 ultra events completed in 17 different countries, as well as echo challenges. He also was a record holder for the Leadman Race. As I've talked about Leadbill before, the Leadman Race is a 50-mile uh, foot race, 26.25-mile race, 100-mile foot, um, foot race, a 50-mile mountain bike race, a 100-mile mountain bike race, and a 10K run all in the same summer. And he completed all of those events in one summer as well as set the record for time. So, again, these are um, elite endurance athletes. Uh, makes me feel somewhat embarrassed to call myself an endurance athlete on this podcast. So, um, for the record, I'm a poser compared to these, these guys. But... What is special about this is Mark Macy was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, early Alzheimer's disease, at age 58. He is now 69 years old, um, and uh, he and his son have written a book about his challenges and their life as a family dealing with the diagnosis of Alzheimer's at such an early age. Their book is wonderful. We had a conversation between three people for this interview, and I'm going to play it pretty much unfiltered, even though we jump around a good bit, because I think there's a lot to be appreciated from just having a conversation about families. Uh, my family, uh, my father had Alzheimer's, and what I have in common with Travis and his dad, and what they're going through, and um, I, I think that uh, the, to edit things out and to make it pretty will result in, in, in you missing out on some of the nuances of our conversation. So I'm going to kind of let it run. But just a little background as far as from the physician in me. Um, we lump dementia into a variety of different categories, and the word that everybody hears and fears the most is the, is the diagnosis of, of Alzheimer's. But certainly there is a variety of dementias, a lot of overlap. It's very difficult. Our abilities to diagnose and predict and diagnose early is getting better than our ability to treat. And that's what's very frustrating. Um, but certainly Alzheimer's is defined as the accumulation of beta amyloid proteins uh, around the astrocytes and tau proteins within the neurons. There's probably some overlap with some vascular disease as well. There's also um, more and more information in the ability of the brain to utilize glucose. So just like the muscle can't utilize glucose in the form of diabetes, there's also a component of that with dementia and Alzheimer's. And so treatments to date have been pretty much directed against slowing the progression or perhaps reversing some of the protein depositions, uh, the, the beta amyloid and the, and the tau proteins. But 
we really don't have a good understanding of why they're there in the first place. And just like a lot of other lifestyle diseases or diseases, chronic diseases, we often are looking at symptoms and treating, treating what we see, but it's not necessarily the root cause. And I think we're still very much learning about the root cause. And, and I think as we learn, especially when you think about the metabolic aspects of things, and this is a plant-based podcast, there's still so much hope as far as prevention. So again, prevention is the best cure for any lifestyle diseases. And, and you know, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as well. There is a dementia associated mainly with re recurrent um, TIAs or strokes, cardiovascular disease or cerebrovascular disease. Um, there is a dementia associated mainly with the frontal lobe of the brain or the temporal lobes of the brain. Um, there's a dementia associated with more of the midbrain or hippocampal disease. People have heard of Lewy body disease, which is a different kind of protein that's deposited within the neurons. Um, similar to Parkinson's is also uh, some of the similar type protein developed into the, uh, deposited into neurons, but to a different degree. So Lewy body uh, disease dementia can often present as a Parkinson's. There's overlap there. So the etiology um, is helpful as far as a medical field to learn more about the disease, but the treatments are... Um, pretty similar, and it's about support and about understanding and how to you, um, the stigma, I guess, uh, associated with losing one's memory. Um, none of us want to be forgetful. Um, it's the epitome of aging, so to speak, that you become forgetful and um, lose your mind, so to speak. Um, so it's, it's a disease that has some stigma around it, um, Oftentimes, families don't really know how to deal with it, and as a family member, as well as a physician who went through it, there's not a lot of advice given um, as far as how, how to deal with it. Um, kind of, Mark was given, get your affairs in order, things are going to deteriorate. That's not what uh, a practicing attorney would like to hear. Uh, Mark was a very successful and busy litigator at the time of his diagnosis. Um, as well as an adventure runner, as well as a very dedicated father and grandfather. Um, so he lived a very, very, very full and fast-paced life to be given this diagnosis. He was lean. He didn't smoke. Um, he, you know, he lived in the, the mountains of Colorado. So uh, it's not a diagnosis that he would ever suspect or his family would ever suspect him to encounter. Travis Macy, Mark's son, um, is, a, is a wonderful son. Um, you'll, you'll see that, you'll hear that in the, in the podcast. If you read the book, you'll, you'll hear it as well. Um, Mark, or I'm sorry, Travis is also an author and an educator. He was a teacher, uh, but now he has a consulting business on education. Um, he, um, is probably one of the most empathetic people and positive people that I, that I've spoken to. And I think there's a lot to be gained uh, by, watching how he and his father interact. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing, and it can, it demonstrates how a terrible diagnosis doesn't have to be something that breaks a family apart, actually brings a family closer together, and, and actually learning to live day by day and in the moment is, is so important. So uh, without further ado, I'm not going to drag this on so you can hear this interview in its entirety. Please go check out the book, One Mile at a Time. I'll, I'll link Instagram accounts and um, 
their website as well as the is the books on the on the show notes. Thanks for taking a listen. So it is my pleasure to introduce Mark, the epitome of endurance athletes, Macy, and his son, Travis Macy, who is also a, a very accomplished endurance athlete. I feel embarrassed to call myself a plant-based endurance athlete in the presence of you two. But um, these two gentlemen have a book, uh, new release, called A Mile at a Time. And it hits near and dear to me uh, because I... I kind of walked the mile myself at one point. Uh, Travis, you're, um, Mace, you have early onset Alzheimer's and you are sharing your story with the world and encouraging so many people. And you guys put a book together of uh, that highlights some of your trials and tribulations, including a wonderful echo challenge that we'll, we'll talk a little bit about. But, um, you know, my father had Alzheimer's and I grew up as not an endurance athlete, but as a golfer with my dad. Mm. And so we golfed together and I learned a lot of golf's life's lessons uh, or life lessons through golfing with him. And um, so it really hit home with me, the book and, um, you know, some of the things that you all uh, have went through and have shared. And, and Mace, I have to say that your part of the book is one of my favorites. Um, sharing your journals. Thank you very much. I think that is so huge for an audience to hear both from perhaps a, a family member, but but just someone going through uh, difficulties, whether it be dementia or some diagnosis that they don't necessarily know the answer to. So thank you so much, both of you for sharing, because it's a wonderful book for starters. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. It's uh, it, it's an honor to be here with uh, with you and your audience. Um, I've listened to some of your podcasts. On one of them, you had uh, made a joke about your uh, your squirrel hunting days. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine you and your dad out there in the woods. Uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know if hunting squirrels is still part of the plant based program, but uh, regardless, I can imagine that that uh, you and your dad probably had some some good times out there. And um, I'm sorry you had to walk that that path with him, but I. You know, I hope when you look back that you think mostly have, of, of those wonderful memories. We we have we so, have we have good memories. Yes, I can I can tell you for certain that there will be uh, squirrels back here. <laughs> I won't shoot over leave. your head. I promise I won't shoot <laughs> over your head during. <laughs> they'll be they'll be there within twenty. 20 minutes for sure. Yeah, no, dad's right. I've, I've been in those woods right behind you there, dad. There's a bunch of squirrels around. That's for sure. I, I always tell people that, um, yes, I have changed my nutrition and my athletic pursuits, but there's nothing that anybody has done that I probably haven't tried as far as <laughs> eating something, you know, and, uh, yep. Yep. yeah, so yes. And, and those were all really, really good, good memories, uh, with my father. And I, I think that um, to some degree, you know, you talk about riding up the hill with 
you, you know, your dad and your dad encouraging to get up the mountain. So, and, and, you know, on your bike as a kid and you, how you took that through your endurance athletes. And when I golfed with my dad, I, I kind of chuckled this afternoon when I thought about it. And it's like, I don't think my dad was quite so encouraging. I, I was playing in a golf tournament one time and he usually, I would usually do start out pretty good. And then as the days went by, I'd start to, you know, the nerves would get a hold of me and I'd start to, you know, fall off. And it usually ended up worse at the end than I started, so to speak. And I went up one, one day he came to see me like the third round and I hit this ball into the sand trap. And then I proceeded to like, you know, dig in the sand trap, trying to get the ball. And I looked over and my dad was doing one of these. <laughs> You know, like I, you know, like I'm, yeah, chunky, yeah. you know, and it's like that did not, that was not encouraging. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably not. And golf is such a cerebral game. But, I, I don't play much now, but I was a caddy when I was a kid. And uh, dad, you used to play a lot of golf. Dad was a caddy sure. as well. Can sure. I tell your caddy story, dad? Huh? You, you, you remember your, your caddy score, you were, you were caddying at that club by Detroit and, um, yeah. and your, your client was, was a gangster guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. you remember what a Johnny, Johnny something, Johnny Conalotti or something like that. Don't say that name. I'll <laughs> kill you. <laughs> Dad's no, no joke. This dad, his client was a real gangster guy. And, yeah. uh, remember that dad, someone came running out of the clubhouse and said the cops are here. And they yeah. said, Mark, you got to go get his car. And so you had to run around front and get his car and pick him up in the back so he could, like, escape. Yeah, yeah that was great. <laughs> Good thing I think you're a this lawyer. is a true Good story, lawyer, Jake. Good thing <laughs> yeah. you're a lawyer. You know the statute of limitations on that getaway car driver. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I'm pretty sure this is a true story, JV. It's not not just one of these kind of, you know, Alzheimer's things that's popping up. <laughs> yeah, it's I didn't make it up at all. It's it's really good stuff. <laughs> you know, Mace, uh, it, it did it did hit home with me when you, you know, you started having you so you're you were a practicing attorney and started to have some difficulties with your that you noticed. Yeah. And uh, you went to the doctor and that damned doctor told you to draw the clock. Yeah, that, it was this clock right there. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't even know why that's in our house. It should be out in the junkyard somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... um. You know, I, I think that from a, a from a medical standpoint, um, it, it, I, I looked at some of the stats today and, you know, we we diagnose uh, and we're quick to make a diagnosis. And when we're not so quick to have a quick fix, we kind of throw up our hands as physicians a little bit. Um, when you look at the percentage of diagnosis of Alzheimer's and different dementia related about 70% of them are diagnosed by neurologists, about 25% diagnosed by primary care physicians. When you look at treatment, that goes down in both categories. Uh, about 50% of neurologists actually do much in the way of treating. So people just kind of fall by the wayside because um, yeah. if medicines don't work right away, then, you know, everybody just throws up your hands a little bit. And, you know, I think physicians, one of the bad things about my profession and, and probably all of our professions a little bit, uh, if you're driven like you two are, is that you want to fix things. You troubleshoot and fix things right away. Yep. And this diagnosis is not one that has a, okay, take this and it'll turn around and or we can cut this out and it's, and it's all better. And so everybody kind of 
Um, there's a frustration about it. And, and, and there's not a good owner's manual on how to proceed through it. Yep. And, and I think you guys have, you know, the story that you share um, with, you know, okay, we're going to, you know, again, for people that don't know, there's some people that listen to the, the podcast that are more athletes, but a lot of people are that have lifestyle diseases as well. Uh, and they're trying to navigate. And like you say, there's 6 million people with Alzheimer's. Um, and so just about every family has somebody with, with that has been affected by it. And so what do you, and so what do you do? And so your, your book really goes through as a family, how you all just, um, you say, okay, dad's an endurance athlete. We can do this. We might not be able to know what we can do tomorrow, but today we can do this. And this is a great thing. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. so. Tell, tell us a little bit. Now, you scared me to death, Mace, when we started talking about the ropes and going for the Echo Challenge uh, at Fiji, uh, you know, the, the last one y'all did. So learning the ropes. Tell me a little bit of that. I think that story is worth sharing because it, I'll try not to get too scared this time when you say it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let well, me, maybe go before ahead, we go to that, I'll, yeah, I'll just say briefly, um, and I think Dad would agree with this, and and Jamie, many of your listeners know um, the the way that medical personnel, you know, whether it's a doctor or other support people, the way they deliver messages just makes such a difference. And um, you know, hopefully, if if you are a, a you know in, in a medical position and you're listening to this, uh, you know, take some time to think about it or get training or you know learn from someone like Dr. Delaney here. Um, the, the way that you deliver and communicate things just, it makes such a difference. Um, and then I would also say, you know, based on our experience, one thing real, we realized early in the Alzheimer's process is, um, you know, you get to pick your team in this deal. And, and if for some reason, the, the people that you're not working with in a medical setting, if they're not a good fit for your personality or your outlook or whatever, see if you can find a different team. Um, you know, and, and I know that that comes say, just saying that that comes from a privileged place because many people don't have a choice and, you know, they're lucky if they have any support at all, but to the extent that you can, you know, um, choose people who fit with your, your view, your outlook, your, uh, you know, your ideas on, on things that you want to try. Um, so yeah, off to the ropes in the eco challenge. One of the stories but maybe I'll take a step back in case okay, someone's yeah. listening. You don't know what adventure racing is. So yeah, let's go back. You know, let's, dad, let's, dad and I, yeah. You've probably heard Jamie here talk about ultra running. You know, those are long running races, longer than a marathon. Dad and I have done a lot of those. We also, uh, over the years have enjoyed this sport called adventure racing, which, uh, you know, typically it's a multi-sport competition. You're trekking, you're biking, you're, uh, navigating fixed ropes, you know, up and down and around cliffs and stuff. Uh, you're paddling, so canoes, kayaks, rafts. Uh, in Fiji, we paddle these things called thamakaus. It's like this ancient uh, outrigger canoe, you know, that people used to colonize the Pacific Ocean way back when. Um, so things like that, riding horses, riding camels, etc. cetera. Uh, you're also using a map and compass to navigate. So it's not a mark course, you know, you're using... Uh, this old school navigation to find your way from checkpoint to checkpoint, which makes it um, pretty cool and dynamic. And another thing that makes it very dynamic is it's a team sport. So most of these races, you're traveling together. 
typically with a group of uh, four co-ed teammates and everyone is doing everything. So you're really working as a team, you're looking out for each other um, and, and you're racing in, in these expedition style races, you're, you're going nonstop. The clock runs for days and days till you get to the finish, you know, and that could be four or five, six, seven, you know, 10 or whatever days. Um, so anyway, that's the, that's the sport. And part of it is this rope stuff that you mentioned. And it's, uh, you know, it's not, it's not full on rock climbing. It's more of you get to a place, uh, a rocky crag and, uh, the ropes experts have set up, uh, you know, a series of sort of challenges. So maybe, uh, using fixed ropes to go up a waterfall and then maybe across the Tyrolean traverse and, and then rappel down, you know, another cliff or something like that. That's just an example. Um, but uh, these things, I mean, man, I love the rope stuff. And I tell you what, dad used to love it as as well. Dad was a rock climber. You know, he he climbed a lot in, in, in the 80s. Uh, you know, when he first moved to Colorado, he climbed uh, the Diamond on uh, Long's Peak, which is, um, you know, uh, well-known and challenging and highly exposed uh, pitch. Um, so, you know, dad had a lot of experience with this. But as Alzheimer's came about before we did the Eco Challenge in 2019, it, it really became, you know, basically impossible to just the manage the uh, visual spatial challenges of putting on a climbing harness, clipping and unclipping this carabiner there and that one there and, you know, putting the putting the rope through the uh, ATC so that you can rappel down. And, um, you know, even if you're not into climbing, you just imagine there's a bunch of different slings and ropes and all this stuff. It's really hard to tell what's what, um, you know, so dad spent tons of time. Remember dad, you, you and mom, you were spending like two hours a day practicing, taking the harness on and off and getting ready. And, um, well, don't forget your son was, was helping me as well. Oh yeah, that's right. Why? Yeah. My, my kids, you know, yeah. My little kids were helping dad putting the harness on and off. We, we went out, um, you also have a crew person for, for, for these races, you know, who doesn't race with the team, but is kind of driving gear from place to place. So our, our crew guy was um, our friend, Andrew Spears uh, from Evergreen, Colorado. Remember dad, we went out with Andrew a few times. He, he happens to be really into rock climbing. So Andrew and I would set up some ropes and, you know, dad and I would repel and ascend and that kind of stuff. Um, we worked hard on the practice and it was, you know, it was, totally safe. Uh, you know, Andrew and I had a, had a lot of faith and we were doing things safely. And even as the race approached, I talked with, um, the race director, Kevin Hodder, uh, at length a number of times about, you know, Hey, what are the possible scenarios and, you know, what kind of supports are we going to need to have in place to, you know, to make sure that this could all be done safely. Yeah, it was, it scared me to, to think of it. I, um, one of the ultras, my first, our first 50 K, I know this, I just feel like, like such a, but you know, we did a 50 K, but don't it was, sell yourself short, Jamie, 50 K is a long way to, long Mendoc way to do anything. So Mendocino there, I don't know if you've ever, there's actually a plan. And so, um, uh, Brockham on his name, but it's actually a vegan ultra, uh, the food mm. there is all vegan, the Stanford, oh, cool. the Stanford Inn sponsors it. So we went out there to stay at the Stanford Inn and do the 50 K and they said there would be a rope portion of the 50k hmm. and i assumed coming from florida that yeah you know there's probably a muddy spot and they just put a rope there so people wouldn't slip in the mud 
Well, when we came to this one, we actually had to drop down over this waterfall for about, I don't know, 30 yards or something like that, you know, and you couldn't yeah. see the person at the bottom that was kind of holding on to the rope. And it's like, I, I had no idea. I'd never been down a rope, at, you know, at all. Yeah. And it's like, you have any suggestions, you know? <laughs> yeah. And they said, uh, you know, hold on and stay over the waterfall. And it's like, that just doesn't seem right, but okay. You know, and of course I made it. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I didn't believe that, you know, it's like, I can't believe this is happening. You know, I just, I guess that has got me through life. Um, I think not really believing it could be as bad as it people say it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know what I mean? I, I think, and, and it turns out that it usually is okay by kind of approaching life that way that, yeah, they say it is, but it's usually not that bad. And I, and I think, you know, it's your mindset, right? Uh, Travis, you wrote another book called the ultra mindset. Uh, you know, it's, it's how your, your head approaches these things, um, and, and making some of these, you know, um, now it's not as bad as we, we can do this. And as long yeah. as you can do something, you, you know, you still have, uh, the opportunity to, um, you know, get about something a different way. And so you figured out the ropes, you know, you practice them, um, you, you know, the, 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 um, the rafting part of it, you know, Mace was really good at paddling. Uh, Mace was really good at going up hills. Uh, I, I do appreciate the downhill aspect of the, the, um, death perception. And, and a lot of people yeah. not understand that a lot, that is a big thing that's really never talked about with Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And it's also with multi-infarct dementia or vascular dementia as well. The connection between your eyes and your brain seems to be a place that's kind of hard hit by these plaques or, um, yep. vascular disease or whatever. And so what comes in is not processed. And so you lose depth perception. Yep. Uh, my father lost depth perception, but he never really, he didn't, we didn't talk about it. You know, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I'm a cardiologist and I knew what losing your memory was, but as far as some of the things that were happening, I didn't know to expect. So yep. he, he was driving and he would drive up, you know, there's, I live in a, Port Charlotte is not a very big town. Um, there's, you know, a, a, the main drag, so to speak, is three lanes one way, three lanes, you know, the, the other way. And so he would drive up on the right lane all the way up to the top of the town and then across over and then on the right lane all the way down because he had no depth perception about changing lanes. Yeah. Um, he had trouble with um, putting saw blades in. He was very handy. Um, he had his own business and part of it was a mechanic for his trucks. And so changing, um, we have a million drill bits in our garage because mm. we could buy more because they didn't fit right in the drill, but it was yep. his perception. He had a million pair of cheater glasses mm. uh, because he kept trying to find the ones that would work. Yep. And, and we went to an eye doctor taking him, you know, and they would say, you know, maybe you have a cataract, maybe, but, but nobody came out really until it was very late in the process when we put it together that the depth perception was really causing him a lot of issue. And I think maybe, you know, if people knew that early on a little bit and you shared it with going down the hills, you could, yep. go, you could go up really fast and hard but going down the rocks and the terrain was very difficult riding that riding was difficult as well yeah 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 i would say all all of that aligns with uh with the experience we we've had you know whether whether it's in the race or or outside of the race and and that was uh you know when dad was first diagnosed they they did um you know who knows maybe the testing is more up to date now or whatever but 
that's the the data said the eyes are working fine uh you know it's as you said the connection between the eyes and the brain and uh, you know, that was actually, that was one of the hardest pills to swallow, huh, Dad, when, when, when that doc said you can, you can't drive anymore. Um, yep. I knew it, though. I knew that I couldn't drive anymore, and I didn't. I made the decision, I think, I, I think, at least in our, in our town where we live, I think I'm the one who made the decision not to drive anymore because I don't want to kill somebody who's yeah. down the street yeah. from me, you know? So right. I, yeah. that's it. <laughs> yeah. No, you, well, you're, you're right, dad. When, you know, the, the doctor kind of said like, Hey, you could be driving along and be on the road going fine. And maybe there's someone walking and that the, that person's existence wouldn't register in your brain, uh, you know, cause part of the, the connection is lost. So, uh, yeah, that was, you know, it was a hard pill to swallow, but, you know, yeah, you, you said, well, it's not worth running someone over. Right. Uh, and, um, and, and you and my dad share another thing, love of fancy trucks. Uh, <laughs> so, so my dad had, a, you know, he always had a shot. Yeah, what kind of trucks was he into? <laughs> uh, mainly he was, grew up a Ford man. His dad, his, his dad was oh, okay. a mechanic, but he had a Ford and he had Tundra, but he always had to yeah. have it tricked out. You know, he had to have, you know, the, the, all the bells and whistles, you know, that he yep. enjoyed playing with. And uh, so I, I smiled when, you know, you, you talked about the, the truck um, because yep. that was, and that was a hard thing because I actually had to take the keys at, at one point because he, yeah. Um, just didn't realize, and 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 again, he had some adverse reactions to some of the early medications that made a lot of that a little bit more difficult. Yeah, um, I think once, um, uh, I think once you kind of have a handle that there is something going on, um, then you can plan accordingly. But when it, it's pretty scary at first, huh, Mace? Uh, when some things are are just not that you think were always in your control are no longer in your control. Sure, yeah, it's scary. But you know, uh, I was a, I was a lawyer, and you know, I talked all the time. <laughs> That's what I did for a living, and yeah. and I could tell things. You know, things aren't aren't coming along right, right. You know, and and just did the best I did, and and so what. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, most, and, and, and probably a lot of people didn't know, because unless they really knew you early on, you're, because you're a good talker, uh, you could talk around it. My dad was a good talker, too, and a lot of people never noticed things, you know, um, because he, you know, he kind of, you're, you can talk around a lot of things, especially things that you're just secondhand to you all the time. Um, yeah. So it's kind of, kind of questionable, um you know, maybe it's, you know, it's like, well, everybody forgets where their keys are. Everybody forgets this name or that name. You know, how could it be? And especially with you being young, um, you said in the book that you had a couple really bad concussions as a, a young man. Um, yes. And so I'm sure. More than a couple. More than a couple. Yeah. Yeah. And so back in the day, I'm sure, you know, maybe the you know, probably uh, dusted you off and threw you back in to get more concussions rather than <laughs> <laughs> the return to play protocol was get up and get back in there. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, my dad played high school football on a team that, you know, he was often offense and defense, you know, and 
I think there was probably there's probably some similarities there as well that um, yes. you know, there wasn't I'm a tired I'm taking a time out now and it doesn't seem like you ever took a time out so you're practicing lawyer you have uh, a, a big family you're you're actually actively involved in your children's life um, your wife has her own health issues actually had to have a liver transplant so I mean you you were you know you may are you 68 now. 69. Sure. <laughs> Some, we, we can call you 39 if you want, but, but, uh, but, but I mean, you packed a lot into it. Let's put it that way. My, my records say 69, but uh, that is, that's, you know, one of the upsides of this Alzheimer's thing. You don't have to worry about numbers and stuff anymore, huh, Dad? I think that that, yeah, I think that's, that's right. A-okay, <laughs> you know, that's, that's A-okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, Jamie, on the topic of um, just just building awareness, one thing, another thing that I think some people don't realize about Alzheimer's until you see it up close is um, there can be a significant discrepancies in, in various abilities, whether that's from day to day or even on a given day. You know, someone can, can still be quite strong, let's say, with, with the interpersonal stuff. You know, thankfully, that's remained one of dad's strengths and and we we really try to like let's take a strengths-based approach and let's let's hang out and talk to people like you and have you know go to our our book events and just hang out and bs because it's really fun and and kind of pushing that limit like walking that line just like you would as an athlete that helps you it, it slows the decline you know Let, let's keep that going and and then also again, there could be huge discrepancies, you know, someone could be doing very well and holding conversations and, and then, you know, maybe at home, they can't find the front door, or, you know, getting dressed or whatever. And in that, um, I don't know, I just, I think it's, it's worthwhile that people know. And I, I just, I think it's so important within the family and community support structure that we don't like, take someone by sort of the lowest capability and say, oh, well, you know, this ability is here. So everything else we're just going to put there. Right. Like, well, you know, the fact that you can't tie your shoes, that doesn't mean you can't go out and go for a run or a walk. And the fact that you can't go run and explore in the mountains alone doesn't mean you can't go out there and do it with someone. Um, so let's let's focus on those strengths and, uh, you know, try to bring bring the other capabilities up. Oh, I, I agree. And, you know, the, the movement is so important. Um, you know, there's more and more coming out with, yes, there's amyloid bodies um, uh, and the tau proteins and that accumulate inside the neurons. But there's also this metabolic process, uh, this metabolic process with the mitochondrial dysfunction. And there's a lot of things coming out just in the last year looking at mitochondrial dysfunction being the root cause for most late onset or most lifestyle um, chronic diseases, I should say, whether it's cardiovascular disease or diabetes or cancer yep. or, and now they're even looking at the metabolic play and using lactate uh, in the brain. So we know mm -hmm. that, you know, lactate used to be something that athletes feared when it built up. We thought yeah. it caused muscle 
cramping. And, and we know that that's not the case, that people that are best trained athletes actually can use lactate to their yeah. advantage. It's a fuel source. It's yeah. a fuel source that gets shuttled from type one into, you know, the type, the different type muscle fibers. And in yep. the brain, it has to get shuttled in from the astrocyte into the neuron. And so mm -hmm. there's more information coming out that there's some problem in a lot of people that this use of lactate by the brain. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the question is what to do about it, but it's very exciting that if this is a third of the piece of the puzzle, yeah. then certainly, you know, this is a piece that, you know, it's not scarred down and if other, you know, so there's a lot of hope as far as something that can be done. And certainly in your case, Mace, the exercise is so important because you've maintained muscle mass you've taken, you know, you're a lean, you're a lean, mean fighting machine so that your usage of glucose as fuel and carbohydrates and fat is very efficient in the rest of your body. Um, and by maintaining that you're actually helping your brain, you know, and that's probably why, you know, you're doing so good and, you know, may even continue to get, you know, better. Who knows? Yeah, I'm with you. All right. All right. <laughs> so, I mean, I think again, you know, it's, you know, you know, you know, and I, I kind of make a joke of that, but I, I'm not kidding. I think I can. I think I can beat it. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that to you, but I, I believe it. I, I, I think I can beat that Alzheimer's. You know, right on the right in the ass and go home. I'm all, I'm all for I'm all for watching you kick it. You know, I'm watching you kick it. I did get. Um, the travel, you know, and the sleep deprivation, when you guys, when you talked about that, because I experienced that with my dad, you know, we don't, people don't realize if you take somebody out of their environment and then of course sleep deprivation, traveling, uh, yep. the distance that you did in a foreign environment, I mean, you had your team there and people that you knew, so they, but nevertheless, it's a pretty big stress. When you came home from the trip, I mean, was there any kind of rebound from that or you just kind of walked back into your life and everything was okay? Did you, I mean, was there a more recovery, did you think, or not so much? No, I don't, I don't remember that. You know, I used to, I, you know, I, I, <laughs> you know, I, I was in jungles and Fiji and Borneo and all these places. <laughs> Nobody goes to those places, but me and a friend of mine, that was our job. It was pretty cool. And yeah, I don't remember. Well, I do remember sometimes we were, we were pretty sick. And <laughs> but Yep. Yeah, you guys did get pretty beat up in some of those early eco challenges, Dad, whether it was yeah. the, um, you guys all got leptospirosis in Borneo and in 2000. And, and then, you know, even if you don't get an acute illness, um, like you said, just hammering all day long, plus the sleep deprivation, your body never recovers. And it just adds up, uh, you, you know, physically and psychologically. Uh, that said, for the this race in Fiji that Dad and I did together, um, we really took it upon ourselves to make sure we slept as much as possible every night. You know, we're talking six to eight hours and, and that's, that's unheard of in the adventure racing world, yeah. uh, as far as that's a lot of sleep, but you it know, turned we, out to be a smart play. It turned out. To yeah. Be we knew it was the only option. And we, you know, we, we really worked hard to try to time things so that we'd be in a village and we could, you know, come in. It, it was beautiful. One of the best things I've ever done, man, you walk into these villages 
any time of day or night and you know you find someone hey do you have anywhere we can sleep and oh yeah come in come in and they bring you in and give you some food and lay down and just you know go to sleep on these bamboo floor mats and right in people's houses you know right with the family it was it was incredible so because we took care of ourselves in that way we actually that allows your body to to recover it allows your feet to dry out and you know by by the end of our time in the race um we, you know, you're kind of beat up, but, but relatively we weren't really that run down. And then we had a few days to hang out in a nice hotel, you know, with, with our families and dad's grandkids and eat some good food and stuff. So, you know, you fly back home and the, the travel again, obviously big time change. So that throws you off a bit, but overall, you know, we really weren't, uh, you know, too messed up. I mean, it was pretty much, we we're, we we're in the same state we had been in, uh, before the race. And that's another thing about sleep. I'm sure you've talked about it, uh, you know, with your patients and on your podcast. That's another thing that we, that we didn't know now or didn't know then that we do know now, just on a daily basis, the sleep is so important. And that's uh, one lifestyle change that, that I've really thought a lot about in my own experience since dad's diagnosis is just, you know, the, the sleep hygiene and consistent sleep and wake times. And, and I still get up early some to do a big, a race, you know, or a training mission or something like that. But, you know, it's not like in the past where it's kind of, you know, the mindset of like, oh, well, you know, hammer the shit out of this thing and sleep when you're dead and, you know, get up, get up early. I mean, my first book had this, this uh, a chapter called the 4.30 a.m. rule. And, you know, I still, I still believe in like the value of deciding on something ahead of time and executing even when it gets really hard. But I also believe in getting enough sleep because that's a really important to maintaining your cognitive wellness. Yeah, I think, I, th I think you're right. It was, uh, it, it, you know, I mean, I, that's, that was the part when I, you know, the, the book is, is very well written. Um, it flows really good. I mean, I was, it's a, it's a page turner as far as the adventure race portion of it goes. Oh, uh, thanks. I, um, I, you know, I, I guess one one other thing I'll have you share because I thought it was so so interesting is so you're paddling you're on this so after you um you you did this crazy boat I can't remember what that's called and then you hiked and you biked but you ended up on these that your stand up paddle boards mm, yeah and you got you decided you should pull out of the water because it was just getting too too rough and you now you've got to figure out how to carry these things yep. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we kind of, and that's a, a great thing about these races is you can have creativity and decision-making and we realized, well, we can stay in this river and keep paddling, winding around a long way, or we can get out and walk on this road about five miles. It's going to be super hilly up and down. We didn't know if it would actually be faster, but we also knew dad's back was really starting to hurt and it was raining and getting really cold. So, so we we're like, well, let's get out and we'll just, we'll carry these things. And we kind of underestimated how heavy they were uh we started carrying them they were way too heavy and then we're like oh gosh what are we gonna do now and, and this local guy who was just standing there he's like hey i have a wheelbarrow so he runs to his house gets his wheelbarrow you know from 1947 brings this thing over and we get the paddle boards in there and take off and kind of rigged up a system so that i could like pull it with his little bungee cord while, while our teammate shane you know wheeled it along and um, it was awesome. And, and then we had, as you saw in the book, uh, these these two boys, these two teenage kids came with us. They they had gotten the assignment, I think, from their aunt or something like, hey, you got to walk with these guys five miles until the middle of the night where they get to this other village. And then you got to bring the wheelbarrow home. <laughs> but uh, the, remember those kids, Dad, they were running around, they were throwing rocks at those huge bats 
we saw him this guy and just yeah. we had a blast you know talking with him hanging out joking it was it was fantastic i i uh one of the quotes that you may you had in the book mace uh you had just run up the mountain that you run up every day on one of your training runs and you got up there and you were you, you had passed a couple young guys on the way up and you were sitting at the top um when they got up and they said they wanted to be just like you and you wrote wonder if they knew i had alzheimer's would they say that <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think that again, you know, um, nobody knows what another guy's carrying. Right. Um, yeah. and, and it's, uh, you know, um, it, it's, I think when we get impatient, uh, whether it be on the highway or, uh, in, in different aspects of life, you know, it's, it's good to, you know, it's, it's not always, it's not always rosy. My grandmother yeah. used to say, if everybody put their laundry out, you want to bring your own in. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. You know, and and yeah. mostly, you know, often when people are acting poorly, it has a whole lot less to do with us than we might, you know, sometimes think. And, and I tell you what, Jamie, that's another thing that like dad has just continued to teach me and inspire me with be, being open with talking with people about what's going on. I mean, this is still something for a lot of people. There's a lot of stigma or they're afraid like, Oh, I don't want, you know, the community to know or, Whatever. And dad's just been super open about it from the start. And, and like you said, his his openness has allowed a lot of other people to, you know, come forward and say, oh, I'm dealing with something similar. Or I remember dad, like the day after you were diagnosed, you went back to the rec center like you usually do. And you told some guy in the locker room you were diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He's like, oh, yeah, I just got diagnosed with cancer. And you know, there it is. A couple old guys talking about the thing, you know, their new diagnoses. And but that's great, right? Like you gotta, you gotta, life's a team sport. And you have to travel through it um, together with, with people. And often it just starts with one person sharing a bit of, of what they're going through. And, yeah. that, and that guy, this was unbelievable. That, that guy who you were just talking about and you know, we talked together, and 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 here, man walks in the in the building, and says, "Hey, I just got home from Vietnam." It wasn't that care. Well, like, he didn't say it like that, but he told us, "Oh, I just got home from Vietnam." And me, man, man, we have three guys out there that are all beat to shit. <laughs> but that guy, you know, coming home from Vietnam, that's that's as bad as it gets, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the memories that he has, I mean, so, you know, I mean, you look back on your adventure races and endurance races in your family times and, you know, you may not remember exactly what happened two hours ago, but you have this, you know, library of memories from early on and with the adventures that you've done and shared with your family. And I think the good part about it is, you know, you can let Travis hold on to today's memories because you've got all those other ones that are great. You know, so, you know, uh, sharing the load is, is what, what's this all about, you know? And like you say, Kravis, you enjoy spending time with, with Mace, you know, you're, you're obviously I've seen pictures of people along the way, you're a rock star in Leadville, uh, wherever you go, you seem to be a rock star and you're such an inspiration to everybody, um, all the time, you know, and throughout all your life, it's not just, you know, you're the hero now that you have a diagnosis, but you always have been. So, you know, hats off to you, Mace. Well, that's a nice thing for you to say, but I'm just a 
old guy with Alzheimer's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think not. You know, I, I think that um, I loved your. So I, I will tell you that I am hooked on Leadville. All right. So since I had my first experience, you know, like uh, Ken Clover says, you know, you fall in love with Leadville, and and we did. We're hooked. You know, I've listened to every episode of. Uh, grit, guts, and determination. And that's how I found your podcast, Travis, nice. which you were on there. And yep. I, uh, I, so we're, you know, we signed up for the 50, um, I'm 60. And so I got to make the cutoffs, you know, the just yep. got to make the cutoffs somehow, but we wanted, we're going to volunteer in, uh, for the hundred. Great. The Great. Idea, Great. And the idea is to come back the next year for the, for the hundred and see if we can make it, make it across. So I'm going to need some help from the uh, Mace Pence team. I don't know who all, <laughs> all of you, maybe all together, uh, but uh, uh, we, we certainly want all the, the help we, we can get. But I loved your story about your first, your first uh, Leadville when you, you know, you went out and you, it was just a piece of cake for you because you were, you know, the first 50 miles, you know, it was just, you had all this time on your hands and you had a party, a uh, pizza party with your kids, <laughs> uh, you know, and then you thought you better get up and go. <laughs> that, that was great Travis was a little kid at that point in time and you know we got out and had a picnic with him and our other daughter and it was great <laughs> and then I couldn't find Leadville after <laughs> I couldn't find Leadville <laughs> Leadville is not that big of a place you know and I was looking all over the place and yeah. People, people don't get lost anymore, Jamie. There's way more people in the race. It's well marked. I mean, there's there's spectator. You're, you're not. There's no chance to get lost now. But uh, yeah, back, back those early days, there were just fewer people. You know, the the flashlights. I mean, there wasn't such thing as a headlamp. All they had were these shitty old flashlights. And you know, anyway, Dad and his pacer Cleve uh, went went up the trail that goes up uh, Mount Elbert. It comes off the Colorado Trail. The kind of this older Part that used to be on the hundred mile course. So, anyway, they got in some extra vert uh, out there on the Leadville one hundred course. <laughs> yeah, between yeah, between that. So I have so I, I've watched. I, I I've truly I've watched about every documentary everybody's put out there about you know yeah. look, looking at the course as much as I can, and and thinking you know it's like that part in the coming back over Hope Pass in the dark. You know, it's like I hope I don't get the heebie-jeebies. Yep. You know, coming. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe yeah. that'll be motivating to keep going, right? If you get that, you know. <laughs> yep. No, I think it'll be okay. I've I've spent a lot of nights on Hope Pass and, and the race, or otherwise, it's it's awesome. It's a it's a special place, and it, and it really, um, you know, Ken and Marilee, if, for those who aren't familiar, you know, the founders of of Leadville, they've always stressed this like family atmosphere. And in my opinion, that's a real thing. You know, it, it doesn't matter that there's now thousands of people who come to these these races between the run and the bike. And like you said, the marathon, the 50s. Um, but it really, to, to me, it very much carries uh, that spirit. And that's, you know, I, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky. I live 45 minutes from Leadville here down in Salida, Colorado. I, I get to go up there all the time. It's a really special place. Yeah, so we we certainly can't wait to get past and and can congratulation on you as being a record holder of snow. Now, for people that you know, they've heard me yap about the Leadville Marathon, and then there's the Silver Rush Fifty, and then there's the hundred 
um, mile bike, uh, mile run, but then now they, but to be a lead man, you've got to do all those plus a 10 K plus a 50 mile mountain bike ride and a hundred mile mountain bike. And you not only won that, but you held a record for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a big, you know, it's a big over six weeks you're doing, I don't know, five or something, you know, challenging races. So it is, uh, it's a lot and it's a process, but it's, it's cool. I, I've, I've just done the lead man that once. And yeah, I was lucky enough to get the record that was later broken by, by a local guy, uh, um, Wesley Sandoval, great dude. Uh, and it's, it's cool. I, I, I'm lucky now I, I coach a number of people every year who are doing, uh, the lead, they now call it the lead challenge, uh, or the, you know, the hundred run, the hundred ride, any of these things, um, so it's fun for me to, you know, even if I'm not racing, get to go and just be part of it as a, as a coach and cheerleader, you know, sometimes get to pace people. That's another thing, you know, if someone's listening to this, a great way to explore these events, whether it's Leadville or whether it's, uh, you know, whatever your local ultra run, maybe you're like, Hey, what the hell is this stuff? It sounds kind of cool. Go out there. And like you said, Jamie, volunteer, uh, crew for someone, you know, crew, find contact the race director and say, Hey, Hey, I'd like to be a support crew. And that usually means you drive from aid station to aid station and give people food, water, supplies, um, moral support. It's, it's a great way to contribute and to learn ex and explore. Is this something for you? Uh, and that's true with, with pacing people as well. Um, don't do dad's first pacer, Cleve Skank. We, <laughs> we, we told in the book, uh, Cleve ended up with with his, only his prescription sunglasses. He didn't have his regular <laughs> glasses. You know, they, they who knows? They probably probably one of the kids, you know, being near my sister, like, you know, threw him in the creek or something. But Cleve was out there all night long with prescription sunglasses on. So um, I, don't, I don't recommend that. But, uh, you know, you'll, you'll have an adventure, whatever role you decide to take, even if it's just coming out and spectating, hanging out, bring your kids to the finish line, man. I tell you what, 10 a.m., uh, you know, on the on the third Sunday in August, that's when the Leadville 100 run finishes. I think that's about the best thing that that kids can see. Yeah, I, I can't I can't wait to get out uh, and, and to see all that stuff. I'm, I'm really excited. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can cross a couple finish lines. And if I can't, I think the support role is just as just as exciting, too. It, yeah, it yeah. is. It's critically important. And and if, if you got to have those sick pacers and, and stuff or else, you know, they, they're in trouble. So just going to tell you to eat a Cheeto, right? Don't you have a Cheeto story? That's right. You got to <laughs> find someone who can force feed you Cheetos, literally put them in your mouth. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's how I do it. And, and I tell you what, Jamie, I mean, uh, you know, as far as, uh, like you said, doing let bill 50, I mean, dad and I did that race two years ago and we were, we were fighting the cutoffs, you know, and, and it's, it's tough. Like it's the, the Leadville cutoffs are in, in my opinion, harder than a lot of, of ultras. And, uh, you know, dad and I went out there and we did it and we were fighting the cutoffs and we, we made it to the aid station at 32 miles and we were a little bit behind the cutoff and, you know, it was, it was kind of a bummer, but it is what it is. And, you know, I was, I was like, shit, dad, well, we made it 50 K and we got to be out there longer than the winners. Yeah. The winners <laughs> finished, you know, they were done like three hours ago. And so we, we got the full experience. Yeah, yeah, you, got, you got your money's worth for that, for being out there. <laughs> exactly. You're telling that story, Travis. I don't want everybody <laughs> to know that. 
We do that every year. Or what? <laughs> Not every, we only did it once, Ed. <laughs> you finished it many times as well. <laughs> well, I, I have a Cheeto story to go along. So we so we share a Cheeto story too because my dad really liked Cheetos and he had a black German shepherd. And so when I would come home from work and I'd open the door to see how he was doing, he and the dog would be eating Cheetos and they both had the orange, you know. <laughs> awesome. So the black dog with the big orange lips, you know, and so... That's a, that's a classic. Yeah, this is the, the you know, we got the plant-based healthy thing going on and and plus Cheetos. Cheetos are going to be, you know, 30% of the diet from yeah. here. Yeah, no, yeah. So no Cheetos, but I do tell people <laughs> that um Oreos are my my mm. my former vegan uh junk food and but I still yeah. eat Oreos on I eat Oreos in the woods. So if there's an Oreo at a table and an ultra, then I eat Oreos. Yep. I don't buy them myself. I eat other people's Oreos. <laughs> It's yeah. like it's like bumming a cigarette, I guess, you know. Yeah. Um, so I eat Oreos in the woods and uh, drink Coca-Cola in the woods, but never, never on uh, never on pavement. <laughs> yep. Good for you. That's a good program. So, but we are, um, you know, um, you know, I found that I, I have a terrible family history of cardiovascular disease and diabetes. Mm. Uh, my mom's dad died at 47 of uh, heart disease. Her mom died at 57 of heart disease and diabetes. And so another grandmother diabetes and heart disease so it kind of um paved the path for what i do as a career and i actually started running because my cholesterol was starting to go up and so i started doing marathons to kind of outrun my cholesterol and it's mm. it helps but it's not that good and so that's kind of one thing led to another back into this plant-based nutrition and we started seeing a lot of results and my mother at 80 was um uh, forcibly transition to a plant-based diet uh, she mm. had lymphoma so my mom had mm. lymphoma at the same time my dad had alzheimer's yeah. and when i started doing the cooking um they became plant-based and i do i do attribute it to helping my mom my dad was pretty far along at the time um but you know she has done quite well she's 89 and still doing yoga and golfing a couple times a week and her brothers all passed in their 60s so i think there's something to it wow yeah uh, you know, the nutrition aspect of it. And, uh, but it's a, it's a journey just like everything else is. And yep. we gotta meet people where they are and help them to, you know, uh, do the best that they can with, with their nutrition. And like I said, um, as w people have heard on this podcast so far today that I've, uh, killed squirrels and eat Oreos. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I have Jamie, I've done both of those things. I've, I've eaten the squirrels too. I actually, you oh, know, yeah. I want to oh, about that, like, um, you know, coming from, I guess, a hunting family, hunting background, what are your thoughts on a diet that's like mostly plant-based, but has some wild game mixed in? I mean, whether it's ethics, health, you know, is that, if, if you are going to eat meat, is that the best or is, you know, I, you I believe elk so. steaks? is that a good thing to have mixed in? What do you, what do you think? I, I believe, so there's there's not a true vegan society we know that we know the blue zoners um you know they're socially engaged they're active uh they eat predominantly plant-based so very little meat the process yep. with the united states for the most part and most of my listeners are here is that we large portions of factory farmed food uh, yep. that are you know that they've eaten poisons they've been given poisons genetically modified materials so the animal meat that we most people have available to them is fatty and you know pesticide herbicide ridden uh, so we know there's a lot to do even with the brain gut microbe connection so 
you know, that stuff's out. But I think if you can find wild game uh, and you're predominantly there and it's a low amount, um, I, I, I can't fault anybody on that. Um, yeah. you know, uh, I think that that's, uh, even, you know, that's, that's probably not the issue I think. And especially if you have to go get it and bring it back and dress it, uh, you, you're not going to overdo it. it. It becomes a, it, it becomes, um, um, a, um, something that you, um, appreciate and yeah. as opposed to overeat without mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. And so no, I, I can't, um, no, I, I can't fault anybody on, on that aspect of things. It's just, I believe the over availability that we have on every street corner, uh, mm. of things that are again, overly processed, even with, you know, spectrum disorder and all, all, uh, autism. Yeah. But when you take the, you take the GMOs and the heavily rounded up grains out of kids diet, it changes their gut microbe, their behavior change. So there is a connection between the brain and the gut and what yeah. we certainly, um, yeah. you know, and of course the obesity and everything else. So we've got a long ways to go. Um, and I always say I, I'm willing to meet people where they are and we work together and, you know, keep revisiting things. But um, yeah, yeah. Now, I like that. I, I like that view. You know, sometimes whether it's you know, the, the bloodthirsty hunters or the vegans or whatever, you know, some people it's like, Oh, my way or the highway. And, and I think from wherever you're coming, it like, it, it's kind of like our dad and I have been saying as fast as we can and as slow as we must, uh, yes. you know, and I love that idea as a, when I was teaching high school classes, you meet every student where there are and, and try to move them forward and, and realize that nothing's perfect. I mean, I even recognize, I, you know, I, I like hunting elk and doing the whole thing, like you said, dressing and savoring and eating it slowly and all that. But I, you know, I, and I sometimes are, I, I think I have the story, oh, this is, this is super healthy, organic, you know, non-GMO, whatever. And then I realize, well, you know, these elk, man, they've been eating corn or whatever, or, you know, something that's grown out in that field. And who knows what was put on that field, you know, like uh, no, nothing is, nothing is actually <laughs> Perfect. It, it, it is. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to find that. Right. And, and none of us are, and you try the best that you can for the day that you are and, uh, and you, and you go, uh, how they say one, one mile at a time. Yeah. <laughs> mile at a time. Exactly. That's what they say, yeah. right? That's what they say. Yeah. You, I don't know. That's what we, that's what it says on the book. So <laughs> it must be true. It must be true. Well, I'm going to keep saying that I got a 50 mile Brazos been 50 this week coming up. So I'm going to be oh, saying cool. one mile is flat. There's alligators. Um, all right. That's the only thing I have to worry about. So, um, I guess, uh, you know, if I have to run the other direction for a little bit, I will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those, I did, one, <laughs> I did one adventure race that we went way out in these swamps in Florida and, uh, it was at night and, and you'd see in your headlamps, yeah, these eyes out there, you know, and we're trekking along and I was talking to a guy with me and I'm like, man, where, where are all those eyes? He's like, you know, I think those are alligators. <laughs> <laughs> When I first started running down in Florida, I'd run early in the morning um, while my daughter was, you know, sleeping in my neighborhood. And I would hear this, room, room. and because I lived on a, actually at the time, a golf course, meaning a bunch of ponds and little lakes. And yeah. I went into the office and I was telling one of my patients, it's like, man, the bullfrogs down here are really big. Because I actually came from yeah. West Virginia where I grew up. And he said, sweetheart, those aren't bullfrogs. Those are alligators. Oh, really? They Okay. I didn't know they made that noise, too. Oh, yeah. The mating season. Yeah, they just, yeah. yeah. And it's Brazos Bend because you start out at 6 a.m. and it's dark. And you just hear them, you know, roll, roll. And it's like, yeah. roll. <laughs> <laughs> cool. 
All right. Well, I won't take any more of your time. I appreciate everything. I'll put links to the book, uh, link to your gals uh, podcast for sure. Uh, it's a great, it's a great listen. I, I enjoyed them. You have, you guys have some really good guests as well. And yeah, thanks. I listened, I watched that documentary uh, last weekend, um, uh, The Rat. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, it's called A Long Way From Nowhere. It's about the um, the Desert Rats uh, Ultra, which is a really cool stage race on the Cocopelli Trail yeah. um, through to Colorado to Moab, Utah. Uh, so, yeah, for, uh, a friend of mine, Chris Ward, and his team put that together um uh, highly recommend i i really like it i mean i see a lot of these videos too i i, I like most of them but this one i really like great I storytelling thought it was extremely well done yeah really good I job that he, i was shocked that he did you know he and his buddies did the filming for the most part yeah it came out really good and yeah, that's yeah, that's on um if people want to watch that uh, go to youtube and the channel is called the audacious report uh and then the the title of the film is a long way from nowhere. So, if you like the ultra stuff, and and again, just some great storytelling with with families Personal, and people yeah. facing adversity, it's really good. Interest, yeah. Well, yeah. thank you both, um, and I'll uh, probably uh, get in touch with you all to see how I should proceed for somebody that yeah. can walk me through these things. <laughs> yeah, Jamie, keep in touch. We we really look forward to meeting you in person dad and i will probably be out there we'll definitely be at the leadville 100 run likely some of the other races as well our so. whole family's going to be there good our yep. little kid our I'll, little kids are going to be there too I'll look forward. we have uh, a yeah. second second ship at hope second shift at hope pass all right yeah so yeah sweet so are you are you going up with the llamas do, do you know um um, I, I, guess, I guess that's where it is. I don't know. I yeah, guess. I think so. Up on, um, uh, you know, we're kind of going into the details, but on the on the north side of Hope Pass, there's yeah. a small aid station. And so volunteers go up there. And uh, typically the tradition is that some, some llama packers go up first with a whole bunch of llamas and they're carrying, you know, all the water and food and stuff. And, and then the other volunteers, such as yourself, you know, we'll hike and or run up there and help out. Um, it's it's really cool. Those and those llamas are up there during the race. I mean, I always encourage people, man. If you're if you get to you know, mile, what are we at here? Uh, you know, fifty five, and you're feeling like crap. Go pet those llamas. They'll, uh, <laughs> they'll they'll either give you a smile or they might spit on you or you yeah. know <laughs> something. Yeah. But uh, it, at least it'll take you out of your own little uh, you know suffer party. All right. Well, thank you both for taking time to speak with me. I appreciate it. Cool. Yeah, you too, Jamie. Thank, thanks a lot. Thank, thanks for doing the work that, that, that you're doing and just helping people be healthy and live live fully. Uh, really right. appreciate it. See you thank you very much, Jamie. Very great. <laughs> great to Alrighty. talk with you. All right. See thank you. Later. Can, I, can I follow on here? Can I flash you a couple of questions, okay? Yeah. So, very quick. Sure. If, if you want. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically living what I think is called the green, green, what is it? Green, shoot, Trav, what is it? Well, yeah, green or kind of, um, mom has really been trying to follow like a sort of Mediterranean um, cooking or, you, you know, mind diet, uh, those, those kind of things. Some of these uh, stuff that I think lines up pretty well, like you said, Jamie, with the blue zone type of eating. Um, that, that has been shown to, you know, slow cognitive decline. I, I would push one of the things that I've learned with Dr. Esselstyn. And then when, again, more of this research on the mitochondria has come out is 
um, the greens. And, and I don't know nitric oxide production. So when you eat greens and chew them specifically, they mix with the microbes in your, in your mouth and the amylase and uh, uh, enzyme, and you generate nitric oxide. And it dilates blood vessels. It dilates the little tiny collateral blood vessels. And through that, and you have a peak about 15 minutes after you eat, and then about a peak 20 minutes after you eat. The blood, it's all been worked out as far as showing those peaks. But when we have people with chest pain, not getting enough blood flow to their heart or leg pain because they're not getting enough blood flow to their legs, when we give them greens and we send them out, we eliminate their chest pain. Um, they can walk, uh, they, can, they can walk without chest pain. And over time, you open up more and more of those little collaterals. So it makes sense to me, although not a lot of research has been done in the field of Alzheimer's, but if we're looking at improving vascular blood flow, that's one thing that I would really push is six cups of greens a day, scatter them out. And that's, we're talking arugula, kale, cabbage of any kind, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower. I'd make sure- Not you, broccoli. Yeah. Not broccoli. Not, not broccoli. <laughs> you <laughs> broccoli. eat a ton of broccoli, Dad. <laughs> no, I don't. A lot of people hate broccoli, but you can have any kind of cabbage. My, my mom makes the best broccoli in the world and you eat it all the time, Dad. I do too. But, uh, yeah, some people do it, yeah. But I mean, so it doesn't have to, you know. But mix and match, and get that in every day because it's only going to improve the blood flow to your head, uh, and ultimately, you know, every every little bit helps. You know, is the way I, I look at it. Now, excessive amounts of animal product actually block the production of nitric oxide, so that's why you want to shift the curve more towards the, the the plants versus the animals, but. You know, again, small lean amounts. You know, I we can we can argue over, uh, but that's that's really what I I head for uh, is one of the superfoods, so to speak. Uh, and it's better to chew them than drink them if you can. Okay. You know, I gotta, wife, Dad, I got to leave here because I'm meeting these high school kids to go mountain biking. So I'm going to click leave. But Dad, you should tell you should tell Dr. Delaney and her guests you. if you have any advice to other people with with Alzheimer's. Okay. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, I'll do that. But also, oh, your leave trap. Trap. He left us. Okay. <laughs> let me ask you. Let me let me tell you another thing, if you will. You know, other. I told you about uh, eating greens. You know, that's about half of what I eat, and the rest of it is is. Uh, yeah, what, this is crazy. I was a lawyer and talked all my life. <laughs> Here I am bobbling with <laughs> you. Happens. But then, and the rest of the what I eat is uh, salmon, uh -huh. and, and it's good salmon. It's coming in from from uh, Alaska. Uh, Alaska, yeah, that's where it's coming from, and. And that's what I've been eating for, for a long time. Just, just those two things. Just in in obviously I feel good and and I'm I'm hoping that's gonna do some good for me. So Yeah, my only my only thing with the salmon is that, you know, even if it's in Alaska, there's so much plastic and you know, you've seen with your travels and so much gunk in the waters that uh, the contamination yeah. from dioxins and PCBs and, you know, lead and mercury, because it's a fatty fish, that's kind of where the toxins get stored. And 
So yeah, the omega-3 anti-inflammatory part of the salmon is really, really good, but some of those toxins that it may be carrying can be harmful. So I would, I would limit the amount of salmon that you take in if possible. Okay. But are you telling me don't use it at all or? I would say, I would say no, you know, in my, in my view that to get your omega-3s from more plant sources um, and, uh, you know, just because of the potential heavy metals that you can be associated with it, uh, and other toxins. Okay. I appreciate your help. I appreciate all that you have done and I am in awe of your accomplishments. So, so thank you so much for taking time to speak with us. It was great to talk to you too. Thank you very much. I'll see you in Leadville. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll be there. Our whole family, little kids and everybody. All right. (laughs) Perfect. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Mace and Travis. Um, A couple of great guys. I'm just so impressed with their family, their endurance accomplishments. Uh, again, the book, uh, One Mile at a Time. Um, Travis's other book is The Ultra Mindset. It's also a great read. Um, if you have any questions, you can email me at jamie at drdelaney.com. It's J-A-M-I at drdelaney.com. Check out our website, drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y to see how you could join our practice or get some coaching from us. Um, I'll link to Travis and Mace's web pages as well uh, as uh, some links to the book where you can purchase it. So thank you again for listen, listening. Uh, next up for me is Brazos Ben 15 Miler. So I'll be back with a race report. Thanks for listening.